welcome back to the Learn Life Podcast, the podcast where you can learn life. Back into the book study of the Celestian Prophecy by James Redfield. I am reading from the 20th anniversary edition of the book. It is a green book with white and red writing on the cover. And we are jumping into the fifth insight, which begins on page 91. And it, the title of the, or the uh, chapter is called The Message of the Mystics. So I'm going to read a bit and then I will skip over a bit because it is quite a long chapter. But I'm going to read the parts that I believe uh, convey the story while we go into what it is that we would want to discuss about this chapter in particular. So get comfy (laughs) and I will begin now. The next morning I awoke as soon as I heard Will stirring. We had spent the night at a house belonging to one of his friends and Will was sitting up in a cot across the room, dressing quickly. It was still dark outside. Let's get packed, he whispered. Oh, too loud. Let's get packed, he whispered. We gathered our clothes and made several trips out to the Jeep with some extra supplies Will had bought. The center of town was only a few hundred yards away, but few lights penetrated the darkness. Dawn was but a streak of lighter sky toward the east. Other than a few birds signaling the impending morning, there were no sounds. When we finished, I stayed with the jeep while Will spoke briefly with his friend, who stood sleepily on the porch while we completed our packing. Suddenly, we heard noise at the crossroads. We could see the lights of three trucks as they drove into the center of the town and stopped. That could be Jensen, Will said. Let's walk over there and see what they're doing, but carefully. We made our way across several streets and into an alley that entered the main road about a hundred feet from the trucks. Two of the vehicles were being filled with fuel and the other was parked in front of the store. Four or five people stood nearby. I saw Marjorie walk out of the store and place something in the truck there, then walk casually toward us gazing into the adjacent shops. Page 92. Walk over there and see if you can get her to come with us, Will whispered. I'll wait for you here. I slipped around the corner and as I walked toward her, I was horrified. Behind her, in front of the store, I noticed for the first time that several of Jensen's men carried automatic weapons. A few moments later, my fright intensified. In the street across from me, armed soldiers crouched low and slowly approached Jensen's group. At the exact time Marjorie saw me, Jensen's men saw the others and scattered. A burst of machine gun fire filled the air. Marjorie looked at me with terror in her eyes. I rushed forward and grabbed her. We ducked into the next alley. More shots were being fired amid angry shouting in Spanish. We tripped over a pile of empty cartons and fell, our faces almost touching. Let's go, I said, jumping to my feet. She struggled up, then pulled me down again, nodding ahead to the end of the alley. Two men with weapons were hiding with their backs to us, looking down the next street. We froze. Finally, the men raced across the street to the wooded area beyond. I knew we had to get back to the house of Wilson's friend, to the jeep. 
I was sure Will would go there. We crept carefully to the next street. Angry shouting and gunfire could be heard toward the right, but we could see no one. I looked left. Nothing there either. No sign of Will. I figured he had run ahead. Let's run across to the woods, I said to Marjorie, who was now alert and looking determined. Then, I continued, we'll stay along the edge of the woods and bear left. The jeep is parked in that direction. Okay, she said. We crossed the street quickly and made our way to within a hundred feet or so of the house. The jeep was still there, but we could see no movement anywhere. As we prepared to dash across the last street to the house, a military vehicle turned a corner to our left and proceeded slowly toward the dwelling. Simultaneously, Will ran across the yard, started the jeep, and sped away in the opposite direction. The vehicle pursued. Damn, I said. What do we do now? Marjorie asked, panic returning to her face. More shots were being fired in the streets behind us, closer this time. Ahead, the forest thickened and inclined up the ridge, which towered over the town and ran north and south. It was the same ridge that I had seen from the overlook earlier. Let's get to the top, I said. Hurry! We climbed several hundred yards up the ridge. At an overlook, we stopped and looked back toward the town. Military vehicles seemed to be pouring into the crossroads and numerous soldiers were conducting what seemed to be a house-to-house search. Below us, at the base of the ridge, I could hear muffled voices. We rushed further up the mountain. All we could do now was run. So, the author and his friend Marjorie are in a bit of a pickle. We will jump ahead to page 96 at the bottom. Second to last paragraph. After a long period of waiting, during which I had no concept of time, I suddenly became aware that nothing had happened. I looked around and noticed for the first time that I was positioned on the highest peak of the mountain. Other ridges and cliffs fell away from this point, leaving me with a panoramic view in all directions. A movement caught my eye. There, far down the slope toward the south, walking casually away from me was the soldier, the gun belonging to Jensen's men slung across one arm. The sight warmed my body and filled filled me with ripples of silent laughter. I had somehow survived. I turned and sat cross-legged and savored the euphoria. I wanted to stay here forever. The day was brilliant with sunshine and blue sky. As I sat there, I was struck by the closeness of the purple hills in the distance, or rather, the feeling that they were close. The same perception applied to the few puffs of white cloud drifting overhead. I felt as if I could reach out and touch them with my hand. As I reached up toward the sky, I noticed something different about the way my body felt. My arm had glided upward with incredible ease, and I was holding my back, neck, and head perfectly straight with absolutely no effort. From my position, sitting cross-legged, and I stood up without using my arms and stretched. The feeling was one of total lightness. 
So in this portion of the book, the author is describing two things. The first is taking a note of what is around them, the actual nature um, portion of what he's looking at and applying beauty to it. You know, the clouds are described, the hills are described, and this feeling of them being close. And this is a pretty good exercise that you would be able to do as well. Just walk outside and find beauty in something. Whatever it is that you are looking at, try to apply that same almost childlike wonder of seeing it for the first time and applying beauty to it as you as you are looking at it. And I think that this is a pretty good exercise too because it is another example of how we can restore our energies without draining them from somebody else. So with nature, as you are looking at it and you are finding it beautiful, even if you may not find it beautiful at first, it is a concentrated effort um, that you would then look at it and you know, create that sense of wonder within yourself as you are looking at it. The second thing is his seated position. And so this is another um, way that we can also restore our energy within ourselves. And that is as simple as sitting up straight. Um, it's ironic that I am reading this part today because I just you know, spoke about how bad my posture is lately. I work at a computer every day um, and I find myself hunched over the majority of the time and it's starting to cause my back to hurt. Uh, I notice my posture is worse than usual. To be honest with you, my posture wasn't great to begin with, but <laughs> it, it, it impedes the breath. Right, so as the author describes the back, neck, and head perfectly straight in the cross-legged position, it is worth um, doing that, I would say once or twice a day, um, in order to improve your breathing, but also it helps you to connect as the breath moves throughout your entire body. Um, it is a way of moving the energy as well from the crown of your head if you're sitting down to what would be you know your sacral chakra or um, your tailbone however you want to refer to it um, the movement of the energy and the breath throughout the body in that upright position and i believe you immediately feel better you know when you're sitting up straight you just, it just, for a brief moment, I, this is how I feel anyway, for a brief moment, I do feel better um, when I am sitting like that. So, separate. Okay, so the book goes on from there describing the creation of the universe according to the author you would be able to go through that yourself i do not feel as though i would need to read the entirety of that but 
it is a motion through the beauty again of putting all of these things together and looking around us and seeing how all of these things have come together to form what it is that we are looking at on a on a cellular level, a molecular level, an atomic level, like breaking it down to the smallest of the smallest identifiable whatever it is and how that is built together to become you and me and a table and a chair and grass and clouds and you know everything else so it is worth the read if you need a reminder about that so i'm gonna hop ahead <laughs> um the author has met back up with father sanchez who's asking him some questions and so on and so forth so this is sanchez speaking to him I am on page 105 and I am at the third to last paragraph at the bottom of page 105. He reached inside his pocket. He is uh, Father Sanchez. He reached inside his pocket and pulled out some papers and handed them to me. This is the fifth insight. It speaks about the kind of experience you had. I think you might find it interesting. I took it reluctantly as he continued speaking. What was your understanding of the last insight you read? He asked. I hesitated. I didn't want to think about manuscripts and insights. Finally, I said that humans are stuck in a kind of competition for each other's energy. When we can get others to acquiesce to our view, they identify with us and that pulls their energy into us and we feel stronger. He smiled. So the problem is that everyone is trying to control and manipulate each other for energy because we feel short of it. That's right. But there is a solution, another source of energy. That's what the last insight implied. He nodded and walked very deliberately into the church. I will skip down to the second to last paragraph on page 106. I looked at the first page of the manuscript and began to read. It described a new understanding of what has long been called mystical consciousness. During the last decades of the 20th century, it stated this consciousness would become publicized as a way of being that is, ex that is actually attainable, a way that has been demonstrated by the more esoteric pra practitioners of many religions. For most, this consciousness would remain an intellectual concept, to be only talked of and debated. But for a growing number of humans, this consciousness would become experientially real, because these individuals would experience flashes or glimpses of this state of mind during the course of their lives. The manuscript said that this experience was the key to ending human conflict in the world, because during this experience, we are receiving energy from another source, a source we will eventually learn to tap at will. I will pause there and skip over some more parts again. And go to the bottom of page 108. 
For several hours, I remained in the sitting area, content to gather my thoughts, wondering if Marjorie, Marjorie was all right and if Willa had escaped. Several times, the in, image of Jensen's man being killed flashed across my mind, but I fought off the memory and tried to stay calm. About noon, I noticed several priests were preparing a long table in the center of the courtyard with dishes of food. When they finished, a dozen or more other priests joined them and began serving their own plates and eating on the benches casually. Most of them smiled pleasantly at each other, but I could hear a little talking. One of them looked up at me and pointed to the food. I sat down on one of the benches alone and ate. The vegetables and beans were unsalted, but spiced with herbs. When lunch was over and the priests were stacking their plates on the table, another priest walked out of the church and hastily prepared a plate. When he finished, he looked around for a place to sit and our eyes met. He smiled and I recognized him as the priest who had looked at me from the sitting area earlier. I returned his smile and he walked over and spoke to me in broken English. May I sit on bench with you? He asked. Yes, please, I replied. He sat down and began to eat very slowly, overchewing his food and smiling up at me occasionally. He was short and small with a wiry build and coal black hair. His eyes were a lighter brown. You like the food? He asked. I was holding my plate in my lap. Several bites of corn remained. Oh yes, I said and took a bite. I noticed how slowly and deliberately he chewed and tried to do the same. And then it struck me that all of the priests had been eating that way. Are the vegetables grown here at the mission? I asked. He hesitated before answering, swallowing slowly. Top of page 110. Yes, food is very important. Do you meditate with the plants? I asked. He looked at me with obvious surprise. You have read manuscript? He asked. Yes, the first four insights. Have you grown food? He asked. Oh no, I'm just learning about all this. Do you see energy fields? Yes, sometimes. We sat in silence for a few minutes while he carefully ate several more bites. Food is the first way of gaining energy, he said. I nodded. But in order to totally absorb energy in food, the food must be appreciated. Uh, he seemed to be struggling for the right English word. Savored, he finally said. Taste is the doorway. You must appreciate taste. This is the reason for prayer before eating. It is not just about being thankful. It is to make eating a holy experience so the energy from the food can enter your body. He looked closely at me as though to see whether I understood. I nodded without comment. He looked thoughtful. What he was telling me, I reasoned, was that this kind of deliberate appreciation of food was the real purpose behind the normal religious custom of being thankful, which, with the result being a higher energy absorption of the food. But taking in food is only the first step, he said. After personal energy is increased in this way, you become more sensitive to energy in all things. And then you learn to take this energy into yourself without eating. I nodded affirmatively. Everything around us, he continued, has energy. 
but each has its own special kind. That is why some places increase energy more than others. It depends on how your shape fits with the energy there. So I will pause there. We're on page 111 of the book. And I think that's a pretty good place to pause because it is discussing food and how our food and what we eat affects our energy. And I've been exploring this idea of diet and changing my diet for a few reasons. Um, first of all, to have a better experience during you know, a particular time of the month. And second of all, to have a better experience with, um, I'll be frank, <laughs> it's not that I was suffering from this or anything like that. But what I found is that when your diet changes, your body smells different. Um, you, your sweat can smell different. Your expulsion of waste is going to smell different and I mean that in each form and it's just a very interesting experience to me that the diet affects so much of how we feel and then also how we smell and how we are able to function and so I stopped eating chicken entirely for the past about three years now actually um i haven't eaten any chicken products if i can help it no that's not true i do eat like a boiled egg or fried egg from time to time i will say that so if that's you know chicken product then i guess i still do kind of eat chicken right but um that was a difficult one for me because i really like i used to like chicken wings a lot <laughs> and I get chicken nuggets. So that, but I really wanted to find at least one thing to begin in terms of taking the amount of meat out of my diet. And um, I began eating like tofu products, began eating more vegetables, tried to make a conscious effort to eat more fruits, and then of course, increase my water intake. And I can tell, you can tell the difference. Even if you implement a small change, you will notice the difference right away, especially in how you feel. Um, it just, it's a lighter feeling. That's the best way that I can describe it. Like your spirit will just feel lighter because you're consuming more um, healthy, healthy things. Even better is when you grow it yourself because then you know exactly what has gone into growing it, um, you know, you know, no fertilizer, no pesticide sprays, um, you know, all these other things. And I don't know if you were kind of like me during the pandemic or the, the main part of the pandemic when we were on lockdowns, um, I started growing a lot more stuff. And that is another way to feel better um, about what it is that you're consuming as well. So if you cook, for example, you may not have the space to grow vegetables or fruits, but you can grow herbs that can be used in the preparation of your dishes. And that's a small start or a small way 
to begin to feel better about what it is that you are consuming through your food. So, food for thought. Um, LOL. But, you know, it's, it's really, it's actually a major part of your spiritual journey in terms of what it is that you're eating and putting into your body and consuming. Uh, that that really can change even the trajectory of your spiritual journey and what it is that you're trying to learn you will increase that by leaps and bounds with uh, an adjustment of your diet and that's not even based on losing weight or based on anything else that is literally based on improving your spiritual and mental health as well as your your gut health say your gut is your second brain um and by improving that you can make a huge difference in your life so if you have the opportunity to do so i would definitely encourage you to look into that so yeah we'll pause there this is part one and um, we'll wrap up part two of the fifth insight and see if we can wrap up this series as soon as possible and maybe find another book or see what we can do otherwise. I may need your assistance with that. So thanks a lot for listening. Bye.